Hey Hilltop, uh, thank you for joining us online uh, today. I have the great pleasure of delivering the word to you uh, through our uh, different platforms online um, and on our live stream. And um, it's an honor, but I'd like to start with prayer because where else uh, should we really start? Uh, Father, I thank you uh, for allowing your word to be proclaimed. I ask uh, that by whatever medium, in whatever way, that it can be declared. We thank you, Lord, that your power would be on display. I thank you, Lord, that despite my weaknesses and my insufficiencies, Lord, that you honor your word. So we proclaim your word in all of its power, that it may have its full effect on all who listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, today uh, I'd like to uh, speak about the subject and the object of the Word of God. And so I'm going to try to parse this out for us a little bit, and I don't want to be too long, but I want to get to the nitty-gritty of kind of what this cultural moment kind of demands of us as Christians and as the church. Now, uh, you'll probably see a lot of sermons, and many men and women who are probably much more scripturally literate than I, who will often say things like this, the scripture is not about you. And to that, I would agree. <laughs> when you're reading the word, the subject of the text is not about you. It's about God, his character, his goodness, right? But today's sermon, coincidentally, is that it is about you. Now, hold up. <laughs> Give me a second. Let me explain myself. With all that's going on in the world, I want us to think about a few things. Are you overwhelmed? I am. We've got a few things that tend to overwhelm us, specifically in this cultural moment. We've got a pandemic, right? We've got all that's going on with the variants and the strains. We've got death and sickness that surround us um, at, at a higher rate than we've seen probably in many of our lifetimes. Uh, we, we've got so much to navigate in terms of health decisions and, and vaccinations and, and mandates. And there's so much chatter and, and cultural dialogue around this. Are you overwhelmed? I mean, I am. And we, we've, also, we've also got politics, right? I mean, this is just the, the cyclical realm of, of the political space, right? Uh, we, we've got division that seems greater. Now, I'm you know, 27 years old. And I haven't been around for the last 100, 200 years, but as many scholars, as, as many cultural critics, political commentators might say, we might be possibly in the most divisive age, specifically in American politics, ever. Now, if that's true, that's overwhelming, right? We, we're almost in a place where, as a friend told me the other day, we feed off of division. It's as if it's our appetite now, not something that we fight against, but something we demand. And I think the reason we demand it is because we find identity in our tribes. And it's the only thing that really satiates the thing that we want most. And so we demand division. Overwhelming much, right? I mean, in the church, out of the church, so much. Pandemic, politics. And what about people, right? The age old problem my age old problem, the people around us, right? The things, the people that kind of just agitate us. It's our mom and it's our dad. It's our siblings. It's our best friend. It's our girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, right? It's what they got going on and the problems that they're causing. It's our pastor or our 
parishioners, right? Not our pastor at Hilltopper, our parishioners here, right? The, the church down the street, <laughs> not us. But you know what I mean, right? It's, it's the people problem, the age-old people problem. Are you overwhelmed by those relationships? And now, I said it's about you mainly because my argument here today is that pandemic, politics, and people are not the things that ought to be overwhelming you most and because they are ultimately not your biggest problem. You know what your biggest problem is today. My biggest problem is today, the thing that is ultimately my greatest challenge, it's me. And for you, and all that's going on in 2022, your biggest problem is not pandemic, politics, or other people, it's you. Now, in Proverbs, we know in the great wisdom that the Bible offers us that we are ought to guard our hearts above what? All else, for from it flow streams of life. What does that indicate, right? That it's not necessarily guarding this realm or that realm, it's guarding my own heart, for from it flows the streams of life. You know why some of our lives are miserable? Because our hearts, we haven't guarded them. It's not because of the pandemic or politics or other people. Sometimes our life is just miserable because we're the problem. We haven't guarded our hearts. And so when I say it's about you, I'm saying we are, our own hearts are the things that need to be yielded most to the word of God, not the other things around us where we demand those things must yield to the word of God. No, it's about you and your heart. And I, and I say this graciously, that our hearts must become and remain the primary object of God's written word. When we're reading the scripture, what am I subjecting? What am I yielding to the scripture? Is it these people? Is it those politicians? Is it that platform? Is it that ideology that I'm yielding to the word? Is that what I'm submitting when I'm reading my word or am I submitting myself? And this is what I'm challenging us today for all those who are listening is that it's about our willingness to submit ourselves before the word of God. Now, let me clarify, right? I said it's about you. Now, the subject of the scripture is God. He's the main character and it's about him. But the object is our hearts. What is God speaking? What, what is he trying to get at? Who is he trying to reach? He's trying to reach my heart. He's saying the scripture, it points to me. It points to Jesus. And the more that you see that, the more that what? Your heart will change. That's the object. We are the recipients of what the word of God is saying. We are the recipients of his character. We are the recipients of his love. We are the recipients of his guidance. We are the recipients of his correction. And it goes on and on and on. Let's read Hebrews uh, chapter four, uh, verse 12, okay? Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it reads this. For the word of God is living and active, amen. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let me read it one more time. 
for so we can so we can get this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. What is it doing? It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what this is ultimately saying here in Hebrews 4, verse 12? That the word of God is not simply piercing to the division of that ideology versus this ideology from those good people and those bad people. What is piercing and dividing is what's happening inside of me, right? The word is meant to address not just divisions in the culture, it is the dividing line within my own heart. It's piercing the divisions between soul and spirit within me and discerns the thoughts and intentions of who? My brother, my sister, <laughs> the neighbor that gets on my nerves, right? No, it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, my heart. So the dividing line is in us. And so recently, a friend of mine recently shared a quote on Instagram uh, by a, a Russian writer and philosopher who, frankly, I've never heard of before. But I loved the premise of this quote. Now, this is what um, this Russian writer and philosopher Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I think I'm saying that correctly, says about the dividing line of good and evil. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts inside us. It oscillates with the years and even within hearts overwhelmed by evil. That even within hearts that we can clearly see overwhelmed by evil, that they are not simply defined by their outward expression of evil, but that the righteousness is a dividing line within their own very hearts. That evil isn't just a thing that we can point to, an agenda that we can speak against. But the Bible that we see, and we'll study a little bit more, and I think this is what the philosopher is ultimately acknowledging about the state of the world, is that sometimes the dividing line isn't, the dividing line of evil isn't just me versus them, right? As sometimes we've come to conclude after 2022, out of all the divisions in the world, out of all the differences that we found tribes in, where we often just admit to ourselves that, you know what, it's, Righteousness on my side, unrighteousness on theirs. Good on my side, right? Evil on theirs. And ultimately what we have to decide is that righteousness is not found out there, but it's found in here. Now I'm gonna kind of repeat this point over and over. It may sound repetitive, but it's important, right? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we get this part right because the Bible speaks rather clearly about it. John chapter 15, verse three. We're talking uh, about the vine. Now, in, in, in verse three, we see that uh, Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, that's so interesting that we see this language here, right? Because do, do you want to be pure? I'm sure you do. Holy, righteous, and just. In John 15, three, it says you are clean. Why? Because of the word I have spoken to you. You want to be pure? You can be by the word that I speak to you. 
Do you want to be holy? You can be by the word that I speak to you, righteous by the word that I speak to you, just by the word that I speak to you. This is the significance of his word, what it does to us when he speaks it over us, when we allow it to affect our lives, to pour over us. Now, it's the word that he speaks to me. He says, the word that I speak to you. And our conclusion, I'll say this, uh, I think that for me, just personally, I've been thinking about, as many people will ask, well, what are we supposed to learn? You know, after all that we've been through, especially after the pandemic and after much of uh, the issues, especially along racial divisions uh, and the racial history of our nation is kind of coming to the forefront of the political and cultural dialogue. We, we saw protests nationwide and we saw how much tension and frustration there actually was. What is the lesson for the church? We'd often hear in many conversations, what is the lesson? And I, I began to see more and more from people that I know very well and, and people that I love and care about uh, with great wisdom uh, and great insight on what God is doing on the church at large. My, my concern about the things that I would hear over and over again is that oftentimes the conclusion that people were drawing was about other people. What are we supposed to learn as a church? Well, you know what? This is what I would hear a lot. Well, you know, God, he's showing them a lesson. He's teaching that church this revelation. He's correcting these people on this error. This is what we ought to learn. This is a judgment against them. This is a correction against them. This is how they need to adjust. As I'm hearing this response over and over again, my concern is that we're often too quick to reach a conclusion about other people than to reach and to search for a conclusion about ourselves. If after 2020, 2021, after 2022, when this year ends, your primary conclusion about what God was doing in our nation and in our church is about other people, you missed it. I'm gonna be honest, you missed the point. And I'll say that confidently over and over again. If your conclusion is not about your own heart, you missed it. The word it speaks to you, John 15, three, already you are clean. Why? Because the word that I have spoken to you, the word that I have spoken to you. So let's get clean. Let's talk about how we can get clean and pure through the word that he's speaking to us, okay? So here's a few things, all right? I want us to be empowered. What do I mean by that? I want us to think about the times that we struggled and were overwhelmed most and we were searching for wisdom, okay? And that happens to me quite often where there's a lot of things, complex things happening in my life and I need wisdom. And sometimes I can feel disempowered. Why? Because sometimes I don't know necessarily how to navigate the scripture. See, what I've been saying is I'm pointing us to the word of God, right? And I don't know how to navigate the scripture. And sometimes I lean towards, hey, I just need somebody to chew on this for me, right? Like I need, it's easy to just be those that just like live off of milk, what other people can digest and give to me. It's easy to even just live off of the next word or the, the next prophecy. And some of us are looking for that thing. I just need a new thing. It's been hard. Give me a new thing. <laughs> Give me a new prophecy. I need to go to a new conference. I need a new revelation. You know what's harder than that? And what God is actually 
calling us to do is that even though the world, we may be seeing new things, right? The, the word of God, Hebrews, what is it? Hebrews 4.12. What does it say? The word of God is living and active, right? The word of God is living and active. So we may say, oh, it's old and stale in our own flesh, but it's not. The word of God is prepared for the new thing. The word of God is prepared for the pandemic. It's prepared for the politics. It's created that it would deal with every cultural moment outside of us and inside of us. And that's the opportunity that we have to be empowered, that the word of God, when we read it, we get wisdom. And uh, I have this... Um, wall art in my in my bedroom that someone very special to me gave to me for Christmas. Now it's just it's not a picture. It's literally just text. Right? And I put it right above my bed frame and it's Psalm 139. I love Psalm 139. You know, it's one of my favorite scriptures. And the main way the Lord helps empower me in my search and study and investigation of the scriptures when I'm kind of like leaning towards the new thing is that it's helpful when we don't know where in the word to find wisdom and we just need someone to digest something for us when we're struggling and looking for answers. My suggestion to you, to empower you, is that you don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be a historian, you don't have to know the context. Go to your favorite scriptures. This is what I do, right? Psalm 139, go to your favorite. Maybe you only know, right, uh, three scriptures well, or you only know three parts of the Bible well. My suggestion, go back to those things, that's okay right? Go back to those things. You don't need always to, to read it front to back in seven days, right? To get an answer. I'm telling you, it's living and active. And so what I would suggest, if you have three scriptures, one scripture, I have Psalm 139 on my, um, in my room. And um, what do I want to speak about today? Well, I believe that there's wisdom in all parts of scripture, that if we read it and investigate it with, and we ask for the heart of God on any scripture, that he'll begin to give us wisdom for the moment, give us wisdom for our heart to pour out his love and guidance and instruction upon us. So I said, well, Psalm 139, we'll stick with that. Thanks, God. <laughs> we'll stick with that. And I said, well, let me look at it again, right? Because sometimes I look at scripture and I take the things that I want to take away from it. But there's wisdom in subjecting your heart and yielding your heart to the scripture once more. To not just assume to know what it says, but to look at it again and say, God, I refuse to remove you as the subject. And I refuse to uh, remove my heart as the object. I want you to be the main character and I want my heart to be affected by this over and over and over again. So whatever that scripture is for you, I empower you to go back to it. And for me, it's Psalm 139, and I'm just going to go through this kind of slowly in its phases. I won't belabor it, but I want to empower us to say, okay, there are some things, the awesome wisdom for the cultural moment, for our hearts that we can take away and say, God, you're good. That if I just open up the scripture, wisdom is readily available to me. Psalm 139 is a great example of that. Just pick something. It's all good. I'm going to prove that even in Psalm 139, there's so much for our hearts that we can see here. So I'm going to read through it from beginning to end. All right. Not take too much time. Read with me. Oh, Lord. This is ESV, I believe. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. <laughs> so good. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in 
behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And so this is a Psalm of David, right? And so ultimately in these first six verses, the way that I summarize this, the, what the Lord gave me, the wisdom that he's sharing with me and I share it with you, is that what David is realizing is that the Lord is all up in his business. <laughs> he's all up in his business. That's what he's saying. He said, you know my thoughts, you know what I be doing day in and day out. He's in my business. Guess what? That's good news. David sees this good news, right? He says this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The Lord is in his DMs, his text messages. The Lord is in his emails, his thoughts, his, his coming and his going. David saying, you're in my business and it's wonderful, right? And for some of us, as I've been saying, even over the last few minutes is that, okay, the Lord wants you to yield your heart to the scripture. That may be a scary thing to you, right? For, for God to search and to know you and to, and, and to correct you and to mold you, you know the ickiness of your own heart. It's a scary thing. But what David says is the searching and the knowing of God is wonderful. It's a wonderful pleasure. It's an honor and a privilege to be known by God. This is how he's starting this psalm is he's acknowledging that the character of God is that he's close to me and he's searching me and he's knowing me. He doesn't think it's a bad thing. And so what I'm telling you even today is that as much as our hearts need to be yielded, it's a safe place and a wonderful place to be searched by God. That's what David is realizing, something we ought to realize too, that the Lord wants to be in your business and it's a good thing. I know sometimes you'd be text messaging, somebody looking at your phone, you'd be like, what you looking at? You know what? This is what we have to begin to give to God, is that we're, we got some trust issues here. We don't want people in our business. God wants to be in our business and that's a good thing. If we keep reading, verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Or, or hell, Sheol, uh, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, Surely the darkness shall just cover me, right? This is like a defeated kind of feeling, right? In the light about me be night. I'd rather be surrounded by darkness, essentially. Verse 12, even if the darkness, even then the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. What is this saying? Let's break that part down. This is interesting. You know what David is saying? He's saying, like, if I come, if I go, left or right, back, forward, like in my wavering, David is saying, you do not. This is something that David does quite often, right? In the midst of even his brokenness, what he's doing is he's simply acknowledging the character of God over and over and over again. In my wavering, you do not, God. What he's also saying is that, God, your character, right? Your character to pursue me, your character to not give up on me, even when I'm defeated, even when I make my bed in hell, even when I'm, I agree with my wickedness, sometimes you still pursue me. You know what David's saying? That God's character will always triumph over my condition. How beautiful a news is that to us today? That God's character today triumphs over our condition. Whatever condition, 
you might be in today, God's character is triumphing over it. Now, it's your opportunity and your opportunity today to acknowledge God's character triumphing over your condition, right? Over your brokenness. And I said, listen, it may not be pandemic, politics, or people, that's your problem. If we can even come to the realization that I'm the problem, guess what? That's not a terrible place to be. Because what David is saying that even in the brokenness of my condition, God, your character triumphs over it. Even in my darkness, it's not dark to you. See, some of us think we got the worst sin in the world, right? This is not a, a message of condemnation. This is a message of hope that even though you're the problem, it's not a problem to God. Come on. Like, isn't that good news? That even though you're the problem, that's not the end of the story. What I'm saying is that we first acknowledge the condition of our heart and then we preach the character of God over that thing until it comes back to life, until he resuscitates us, until we realize that God's character is greater than our condition. That's the good news for us today. He's not ashamed of your business. He knows your business, but he ain't ashamed of it. So we don't have to be scared to go to him with our business, to allow him to search out our business. Amen. I heard a few people say amen online. <laughs> I hear a few hallelujahs out there. Hallelujah. We can pray. It's just over that. We can end just over that. That's amazing news. Let's keep going. I won't be too much longer. We're almost through this thing. 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. There's encouragement here that God created us and is yet still committed to us. He created us and still thinks of us. He planned us and he's purposing us, right? This is amazing because as much as this says about me, that there's nothing good about me that wasn't first good about God. Does that make sense? Right. That, that, that my condition, that even in my victory, that it is contingent upon the victory of Jesus, that even in my triumph, it's contingent upon the triumph of Jesus, that my purpose, the very purpose that I have and that I can walk like proudly in, right, that I have been created in, with a purpose is because this is true, that God created me. I'm intricately woven. This is encouraging. Why? Because if any of us are overwhelmed by the moment or by our sin, one thing that always encourages my heart is that God created me. He knows how to deal with me. God created this world. He knows how to deal with this world. There's something important about learning about God as the creator, the one who intricately creates us, where we know that because he births us, that he's committed to us. And, and that's an encouragement for the hearts of a generation. I mean, think about the generation at hand that, do, that don't know their identity, that don't know how to solve the problems of their heart, that have friction and, and tension that they think they can solve in a, in a myriad of other ways but God. And what the Bible says is that God created you. 
And so the only person that can solve the condition of the heart is the one that created the heart. The one that created us and gave us our purpose and gave us our plans and knows us better than anybody else. Now, if we need help, right? Who do we go to? Who better to go to? Who, what wiser a counsel than our very creator? The one who put us together. If you need fixing for your car, you go to the manufacturer, don't you? If you need something that, that, that you don't know how to do, like the person who created the thing, right, whatever it is, they have the greatest amount of knowledge, whether it's a computer or a car. If they created it, they probably have the greatest amount of knowledge on how to fix it. And so this is what I think David is also realizing and acknowledging. Good news for the heart. Verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of Psalm 39. It's not because I'm angry, <laughs> but I love his honesty here. I love David kind of pouring out his frustrations before uh, the Lord. And so I think there's some debate about where, what place this has, right? Uh, amongst our, our prayer lives and our, and, and our emotional lives is, is this hatred towards evil, right? But I think what we can take away from this, ultimately, is that David didn't start here. David started with the character of God and gaining reverence and wonder and yielding his heart before the character of God over and over again. And you know what that does? By the time you get here, what we see is that uh, a correct understanding of the evil around us, right? It only comes by and is a direct byproduct of a reverence and a wonder for God. Some of us start at this place, right? Where we wanna pick and choose and point out evil as if that is our main duty on this earth. Where we say, well, that's bad and that's evil and all those things can be true. But the most important part is that our understanding of wickedness and what God hates and what God abhors, the thing that he's most against, we have greater clarity on those things when we subject our hearts to the character of God, when we have more understanding of who he is, that after 18 verses of David acknowledging what God knows about him, he makes reference of what God knows about evil. And I think there is some proportion here we ought to take note of. But even more than that, right, in this sandwich of a psalm <laughs> where we see uh, David subjecting his heart, then he talks about evil and wickedness and the emotions that he's feeling. This is how he closes it. This is how he closes, even acknowledging what he sees as cultural wickedness, the wickedness of people around us. What he sees is something that we can often see in our lives, right? Something that we can acknowledge. There's nothing wrong with saying that, hey, that's a problem and that ideology is demonic and, and this is something as a culture that needs to be dealt with i'll never say that it's just our heart that needs to be subjected the bible says a lot about the world and a lot about evil and a lot about culture but the way david ends this psalm is this after acknowledging the evil that surrounds him, what does he say he says search me O god and know my heart 
Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. And so for some of us, many of us perhaps, um, we either start with the wicked around us or we end with the wicked around us. But what David exemplifies for us here is you start with me, search me, you have searched me, you have known me. We acknowledge where God, what God approves of and disapproves us. But at the end of the matter, it's our heart that is the beginning and the end of the matter. Our heart is the beginning and the end of the matter. If you look at it, verse one, we see, O Lord, you have searched me and known me all the way down to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That the thing that David was so joyous about, he says, continue to do it. Because although I may acknowledge what is around me, the main object of your word is my heart. My heart I surrender. I allow God, you, to begin to deal with the things around me, but my main duty, my main obligation, my main job before the throne of God is that I allow my heart to be searched. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. For those of us today, uh, those who are listening to me today, an opportunity before us is to allow God to search us, to conclude that the state of our world is important to God. But as we begin to search out the word and find conclusions for how we must traverse, how we must find everlasting life, our everlasting life is not found necessarily in judging the culture, in discerning other people's thoughts. What the Psalm says is that in order to be led in the way everlasting, it comes by means of God searching and knowing my heart. And so there's an opportunity for, ever, for the everlasting way for you, the everlasting way, the life abundantly, the, the purity and the holiness you're seeking today, the, the life that you're so grasping for, the joy that you want, we get freedom when we remove the, the joy in the everlasting way, when, when we take it out of other people's hands, when, when, when we remove, uh, when we say culture has no power over my everlasting way, culture has no power over the abundance of my life, that God is the one who gets to determine what is in my heart and gets to fix what is inside of me. That's my main obligation. And uh, that's an opportunity. What do we take away? from these last few years and what do we take away in the years ahead is that God searches, know us. That is what we seek, that is what we want. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, just sending forth your word, uh, proclaiming your word, for, for using me just to, to, to um, articulate the scripture. I ask, Lord, that, that you would even right now reach out to the hearts of those who, who have heard your word today, 
Lord, that you would even begin to penetrate, Lord, even uh, 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 hardened hearts right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you're even changing our perspective on our favorite scriptures, that you're reminding us that it's our hearts, Lord, that we must yield to your word, that, that our life, Lord, is that we have an opportunity, Lord, for the everlasting way, even right now. And I ask God that if we've been playing the blame game, we've been pointing fingers, I ask, Lord, that you would remind us that it's the word that you speak to us that purifies us. And so we receive your word. We say, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. I thank you, Lord, that even a spirit of repentance would fall on us right now for every way in which we've read the word and have pointed out the flaws in others before we've looked at our own hearts first. I thank you, God, Lord, that you're even receiving our repentance and you're forgiving us right now in Jesus' name. I thank you that our opportunity today is to be searched and known by the everlasting God, the creator of the universe, our Lord, our King. We pray this in your son Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Um, for those of you who are online, we uh, and typically attend our church services in person. We're so excited to see you back in the building, worshiping together. For those who can't make it for various reasons, we understand we're with you and we're looking forward to, to joining with you online yet again still. Either way, we love you guys. See you next week.